The first Bible reading comes from Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 to 38, and I'm reading from the New International Version. The glory of the Lord. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. Thank you, Carol. Good morning, everybody. So before I became a Christian and went into ministry, I was an infantryman in the Australian Army. And I want to tell you about two kinds of commanding officers that an infantry battalion tends to see over time. You see a few because they change over about every three years. So the first kind, they get parachuted into the position. You never really see them around. Uh, You have no idea what they want for the battalion. They tuck themselves away up in headquarters and they grit their teeth and get through three years because commanding a combat unit is an important box to tick in their career progression. And then they're gone. (coughs) The other kind is promoted into the role after commanding combat platoons and commanding combat companies for years. It takes about 10 years for them to get up to that point where they can command a battalion. Combat command is their specialty, and this new role is not just a stepping stone for them. They are ambitious and visionary, and they communicate a clear purpose for the battalion. But here's the clincher. Here's how you know they really mean business. When you're training, and you're clambering over obstacles or crawling through the mud or carrying stretches around until you can't feel your arms, every now and then, the CO is right there beside you doing it. Or when you're out field for eight weeks at a time without showers or food, sleeping in a hole, every now and then, the CO tags along with the section for a patrol and hangs out with you. Because this type of commander rolls up their sleeves. This type of commander has a purpose and they are present with their people as they work together to make it happen. What kind of commanding officer do you think God is? This morning we finish the book of Exodus and we see an incredible demonstration of how committed God is to his purpose for his people as his glory comes to be right in the middle of them. So let's pray. Almighty God, in the words of Moses, show us your glory. Amen. We've got five chapters to deal with, but a lot of it is a repeat of chapters 25 to 31. We're going to see why that is, but we're going to come at it backwards. We're starting from the conclusion, from the high point at the end of chapter 40, which we've just had read for us. I want to discuss a couple of ways that this towering finale wraps up Exodus for us. First, 
The book opened with a people in slavery and a God who was nowhere in sight. He had been silent for 430 years. He is far away. But when the people cried out for help in chapter 2, it says God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. As the book unfolds, Yahweh reveals himself more and more. Yahweh comes nearer and nearer until, in chapter 40, verse 34, the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. The situation has been entirely reversed. God was absent, but now he is very present. And what does this mean for Israel? God directs this nation. Verse 36, throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. God is Israel's king, and whatever they do or whatever they don't do, it will depend entirely on him. And another thing, God's leadership, it's an intimate one. He's not aloof, he's not far off. He is present. Actually, it's just so conspicuous how present he is. Verse 38, the cloud of Yahweh was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. God is present with his people, just like it was meant to be. Just like back in the garden. Actually, the tabernacle is designed to remind Israel of the garden. A few weeks ago, Mark preached on chapters 25 to 31. And let me just recall a few of the details from that to remind us of what I'm talking about here. Cherubim stand over the Ark of the Covenant and are woven into the curtains of the tent. These are the angelic defenders of the garden back in Genesis. There is an elaborate candlestick which resembles the tree of life. There's a basin filled with water. It's a cleansing water, like the rivers which flow from Eden, giving life to all the earth. The tent is filled with precious metals and precious stones because the garden is a place of prosperity and abundance and beauty. And then the high priest, he's dressed in this tapestry of colors and he has these jeweled pomegranates hanging from his rich robes, like the fruit of the trees. This is all a massive reminder of how things are meant to be. Just like in the garden, God is meant to be with his people. But there are a few differences between the garden and the tabernacle. There are now places where people can't go. There are ceremonies and rituals that must be observed. There's a sense of danger in this place, and Israel has recently experienced God's judgment for their rebellion. So this place where God is with his people, it still has a bit of tension in it, doesn't it? Israel will sense that things aren't quite right. There's still some fundamental issues that haven't yet been completely resolved. There is more to come. We here today have the benefit of hindsight. We have access to far more history and actually far more knowledge of God than Israel did back in Exodus 40. 
So we get to see some of the ways that the tabernacle arrangement uh, was pointing forward. For us here today, we're going to have a look at this quickly. For us here today, uh, there's something that it's pointing to that's in our past, something that it points to that's a present experience for us, and something it points to in our future. So in the past, God became man. His name was Jesus of Nazareth. The prophet Isaiah said that he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. The first chapter of John's gospel says this, the word, that is Jesus, became flesh and tabernacled amongst us and we have seen his glory. That's exactly like Exodus 40 and it's no mistake. So that's in the past, in the present, God has sent us his spirit, which is in the hearts of all believers. At the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is leaving earth physically, but he says to his followers, I am with you always till the end of the age. And in exactly the same scene from Acts chapter one, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. God is with us. So that's the present. And then lastly, in the future, listen to this from Revelation chapter 21. The holy city, New Jerusalem, is coming down out of heaven from God. A loud voice from the throne says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. It's not even subtle. For Israel, there are unresolved tensions baked into the design of the tabernacle. But we today have the privilege of a much greater understanding of what it means for God to be with his people. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about God with us. And Exodus 40 is an incredible moment in that story. As it wraps up, the incredible story of Exodus, we see how far God is willing to go to be present with his people. So that's the first thing that's going on here in Exodus 40 as it wraps up the book. The second thing is God's purpose for his people. This begins back in chapter 19. When Israel arrives at Mount Sinai, God says, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What does all that mean? Let's unpack it quickly. Treasured possession means Israel are God's elect, and they have exclusive access to him. A kingdom of priests means Israel will represent God to the rest of the world. A holy nation means Israel get to devote the entirety of their lives to the glory of God. That is God's purpose for Israel. And how is all of that going to actually happen? It will be possible because God's plan is actually to be with Israel as their king. That's exactly what he was preparing for in chapters 25 to 31 with the whole design of the tabernacle. But 
a few things happen between chapter 19 and chapter 40. Israel break the covenant almost immediately when they commit their terrible rebellion with the golden calf. And this incredible purpose that we've just unpacked, it's gone, off the table, not on offer anymore. Actually, Israel are almost executed for their treason. In chapter 32, Moses begs for their lives. And this is how he does it. He says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and all this land I have promised, they shall inherit it forever. God concedes and Israel is spared, mostly. But this isn't the glorious purpose that Israel was offered in chapter 19. At the beginning of chapter 32, God concedes even further. Israel will go up into the promised land, but God says, I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, because this is still not the glorious purpose given in chapter 19. Let's take stock. Israel has not been wiped out, as they should have been, and they are inheriting the land flowing with milk and honey, which they do not deserve. God's concessions at this point include life and prosperity. Isn't that enough? It's not. They are devastated. They mourn. God's purpose for Israel was to be his treasured possession, his kingdom of priests, his holy nation, But instead, the people have received only concessions. That's why Moses keeps begging. In chapter 32, verse 15, he says to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. This is purpose language. Life is not enough. Prosperity is not enough. Israel needs a purpose. Moses is saying, please God, let us be your treasured possession. Let us be your kingdom of priests. Let us be your holy nation. And then, in the passage that Mark preached last week, the mere concessions give way to full covenant restoration. That special, unique, and incredible purpose, it's back. It's fully restored. This is huge. It's a huge outpouring of the grace of God. Israel has copped God's judgment Now they experience his grace. And they understand that for them to have this purpose in life, they will need to have Yahweh living with them as their king. And so they devote themselves to the building of the tabernacle. There's five chapters of it that are basically repeating uh, repeating the chapters from before the golden calf. 
This emphasizes one key difference. Earlier was just a plan, and Israel completely botched it before it was realized. Now, it's happening. They are building the tabernacle. It's not a plan anymore. And when it reaches the climax, it's been a long journey for Israel. They've had to learn a thing or two, but God resolves to make his purpose for this people happen. So at the end of chapter 40, God rolls up his sleeves, takes a deep breath, resolves to get his hands dirty and to work with this people to get it done. It's not a plan anymore. Verse 34, the glory of Yahweh fills the tabernacle. Let's think about ourselves for a second here. What about you? Do you have an incredible purpose in life? More importantly, are you working with God for his purpose? Or is life and prosperity enough? It wasn't enough for Israel. They wanted a purpose. They wanted to be God's treasured possession, his kingdom of priests, his holy nation. They finally understand what that involves. And when God graciously restores his purpose to them, they are transformed. And we see it in how they act. That's what the next two sections are about. First, Israel's obedience in worship. And secondly, Israel's generosity in partnership. We're going to have a look at the first of those now. So we've got another Bible reading. Um, If you want to come up now from chapter 39 verse 32, um, going through to chapter 40, verse 33. Thank you. So the work on the tabernacle, the tent of meeting was completed. The Israelites did everything just as the Lord commanded Moses. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses the tent and all its furnishings, its clasps, frames, crossbars, posts, and bases. The covering of ram skins dyed red and the covering of another durable leather and the shielding curtain, the Ark of the Covenant law with its poles and the atonement cover, the table with all its articles and the bread of the presence, the pure gold lampstand with its row of lamps and all its accessories, and the olive oil for the light, the gold altar, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense, and the curtain for the entrance to the tent, the bronze altar with its bronze grating, its poles and its utensils, the basin with its stand, the curtains of the courtyard with its posts and bases, and the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard, the ropes and tent pegs for the courtyard, all the furnishings for the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and the woven garments worn for ministering in the sanctuary, both the sacred garments for Aaron and the priests and the garments for his sons when serving as priests. The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected the work and saw that they had done it just as the Lord had commanded, so Moses blessed them. Place the Ark of the Covenant law in it and shield the Ark with the curtain. Bring in the table and set out what belongs on it. Then bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. Place the gold altar of incense in front of the Ark of the Covenant law and put the curtain at the entrance to the tabernacle. 
Place the altar of burnt offering in the front of the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar, put water in it. Set up the courtyard around it and put the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. Take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and everything in it. Consecrate it and its furnishings and it will be holy. Then anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils. Consecrate the altar and it will be most holy. Anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate them. Bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then dress Aaron in the sacred garments, anoint him and consecrate him so he may serve me as priest. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics. Anoint them just as you have anointed their father so that they may serve me as priests also. Their anointing will be to a priesthood that will continue throughout their generations. Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year. When Moses set up the tabernacle, he put the bases in place, erected the frames, inserted the crossbars and set up the posts. Then he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering over the tent as the Lord commanded him. He took the tablets of the covenant law and placed them in the ark, attached to the poles to the ark and put the atonement cover over it. Then he brought the ark into the tabernacle and hung the shielding curtain and shielded the ark of the covenant law as the Lord had commanded him. Moses placed the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the curtain and set out the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. He placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the gold altar in the tent of meeting in front of the curtain and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord commanded him. Then he put the curtain at the entrance to the tabernacle. He set the altar of burnt offering near the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and offered on it burnt offerings and grain offerings as the Lord commanded him. He placed the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing, and Moses and Aaron and his sons used it to wash their hands and feet. They washed whenever they entered the tent of meeting or approached, all the, or approached the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Thank you very much. We didn't read most of these five chapters because they are mostly a repeat of chapters 25 to 31. In chapter 39 here, we get a summary, pretty much, of everything they've just done, and then in chapter 40, we have Moses putting it all together and getting it started. And that leads directly into the reading we heard earlier, when God comes to be in the tabernacle. In the reading we've just had, it drives home one really key point. We've read the whole thing just so we can hear it. Did anybody catch it? No? Moses and Israel did everything exactly as Yahweh commanded. 16 times in these two chapters. I think this is important. (laughs) Israel has learned by this point to be obedient in their worship. Why does that matter? It's because they want to worship the one true God. And they can't do that 
by just doing whatever they feel like. That doesn't respect who God is. And the golden calf disaster made all of this very clear. God is not to be approached lightly. Israel are not free to worship God however they want. But, we might wonder, there is so much pedantic detail in these chapters. And that might make us wonder, is God really this pedantic? It's nothing like this in the garden, after all. And it's not the impression we get of the new creation, either. So I want us to make a couple of observations that help us to understand God in these pages. The first one is the problem of sin. That's not there in the garden before the fall. And it's not there when God makes all things new. At those times, humanity is morally pure. There is no barrier, no danger in them being close to God. But because of sin, the tabernacle is filled with barriers, physical barriers. And there's danger in approaching God. There's a cleanliness code that governs entry into the courtyard. Only priests may enter the tent of meeting itself, and they can only do that after layers and layers of ritual. And then, the Holy of Holies within the tabernacle, is that's where the Ark of the Covenant is, it's where God comes to be. That is restricted to the high priest alone. And even then, he can only enter it under very, very special and specific circumstances. All of this constantly teaches Israel about the problem of sin. It just drills it into their psyche. Because sin is not a trifling matter. It's a stark reality. Like physics. When builders and engineers are putting together a bridge or a skyscraper, they can't just go off the plan. Why is that? Well, it's not about constraining their personal creativity or self-expression or free will. It's just got nothing to do with that. It's not punishment. It's just that physical forces like gravity or mechanical tolerances can't be trifled with. (laughs) They just have to be respected. That's what's going on with the tabernacle because of sin. So that's the first observation. And the second one is that the whole tabernacle and priesthood thing, it's where Israel approaches God in a formal setting. But these formalities, that's not their entire life. So they're intense and they're demanding. And this helps Israel to respect and honour the God in their midst. This helps Israel to remember their priorities. Their whole community life is centred around the tabernacle. It's impossible for them to forget that God is with them. And they all play their part in what goes on there. But the intensity and the obsessive attention to detail that we see in these pages, it's not their whole life. That would just be exhausting and impossible. So the formality is important. And I think we get that a bit of formality in the right context is actually really helpful for us. And anybody that went to a dawn service this morning probably gets that. So what about now? How do we live when God is with us now? Well, the church are still sinners, and God, who is with us, is still perfect 
and holy, even dangerous. So we must still pay attention to how the problem of sin is resolved. Jesus Christ has dealt with sin once for all at the cost of his own life. We no longer need the physical barriers and the restrictive restrictive codes and the rituals and all of this sort of thing that the tabernacle has, but we can only approach God in the name, in the grace, in the power of Jesus Christ. Nobody is going to be struck down on the spot if they don't, if they disregard Jesus, which does actually happen a couple of times in the Old Testament. But if the day of judgment comes at the end of this age, and you have not been purified by the blood of Christ, then you will face the full wrath of God. It is not a matter to be trifled with. It's a blunt fact and it must be respected. So the church is obsessed with Jesus because we are a sinful people who have a holy and awesome God who is with us. If you're with us this morning and you're not sure whether you've been purified by the blood of Christ, this is something we would love to discuss more with you. You can use our contact cards attached to the leaflets or there's details on the website for you to reach out through or you can just talk to us here today after the service or if you're here with a friend, talk to them. Whatever it takes, we really want you to face the problem of sin head on but we also want to assure you that there is a gracious and incredible solution to this problem. Okay, so the other thing after the problem of sin that we want to observe is the formalities. And there's still a formal component to approaching God today. Today, it's the church gathering on a Sunday like we are here. And what we do here is meant to have a similar effect to the tabernacle in helping us to honour God and regulating our priorities. It's a formational practice that we participate in together and contribute to. And there should be some degree of rigour and reverence. And fortunately, God has provided a lot of stipulations, actually, about what we do here. So I'm not going to dig into all the biblical detail. Uh, If you want to do that, catch me later. But let's have a look at a few of the things the New Testament says about what goes on in church. Church is supposed to be ordered and intelligible. It's centered on the apostles' teaching. That's why we teach and warn and counsel from the scriptures. We are to encourage one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We share together in the sacraments. And all of this is done through the Holy Spirit, a spirit of unity. And the result is that everyone is edified, trained in righteousness, and prepared for service. This is how God commands us to worship Him now. It's not a free-for-all. We listen carefully to His instructions because we want to worship the one true God. We don't worship a God of our own making, like Israel with the golden calf. So, to properly understand God in all of this tabernacle business, we've looked at the problem of sin, 
And we've looked at some of the reasons for the formalities. Israel has experienced God's judgment. And now Israel has experienced God's mercy. And by the end, end of Exodus, they have been transformed. They have learned to be obedient in their worship. We're going to have our third Bible reading now. Uh, in our third section, we hear about another way that Israel has been transformed by the grace of God. The third Bible reading comes from Exodus 35, verse 4 to 36, verse 7. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense the onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle with its tent and its covering, clasps, frames, crossbars, posts and bases, the ark with its poles and the atonement cover with a curtain that shields it, the table with its poles and all its articles and the bread of the presence, the lampstand that is for the light with its accessories, lamps and oil for the light, the altar of incense, of incense with its poles, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, the curtain for the doorway at the entrance to the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the bronze basin with its stand, the curtains of the courtyard with its posts and bases and the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard, the tent pegs for the tabernacle, for the courtyard and their ropes, the woven garments worn for ministering in the sanctuary, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of, of meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen, or goat hair, ram skins dyed red, or the other durable leather brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord, and everyone who had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen. And all the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord freewill offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, 
and he has filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given both him and Aholiab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with, the, with skill to do all kinds of work, as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen, and weavers, all of them skilled workers and designers. So Bezalel and Aholiab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing this sanctuary, are to do the work just as the Lord had, has commanded. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Aholiab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the, the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were, working, who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to take anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more, because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. When was the last time your church had to ask everybody to stop giving? <laughs> what is going on here? Well, it's another way that Israel has been transformed. They are generous in partnership. What does partnership mean? It's a way of talking about God's um, involvement in God's purpose. Even though God could just snap his fingers and do everything himself, he doesn't. He works in and through and with his people. That's why he comes to be with them. The all-powerful creator God is preparing to be with Israel and he commissions them to prepare the place for this and what a privilege that is. And they are devoted to this by now. They pour out their skills and their resources to prepare the way for the Lord. Let's have a look at some of the details. In chapter 35, Moses says to the whole Israelite community, this is what Yahweh has commanded. From what you have taken offering for Yahweh, everyone who is willing is to bring to Yahweh an offering. So Moses commands the people to bring and or to provide of their own free will. They're not being compelled here. Bring of their own free will all that is required for the building of the tabernacle. And the people respond. Verse 20, the whole Israelite community and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to Yahweh for the work that needed to be done. Again, in verse 29, all the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to Yahweh free will offerings for all the work Yahweh commanded them to do. They respond gratuitously. In the next chapter, the craftspeople come to Moses, saying, in verse 5, the people are bringing more than enough for the work. And Moses has to restrain the people from giving any more. Why? Well, remember earlier, Israel has stuffed everything up, but God graciously gives them a way to show they are sorry. 
in chapter 33, verse 5, he says, you are a stiff-necked people. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. This is a symbolic gesture, like wearing black at a funeral. The gesture is an act of humility and repentance. After all these ornaments, these are the materials which the people would normally use to adorn or in some ways draw attention to themselves. These are also the same materials they used to build the golden calf. So when Israel is transformed by God's grace, they naturally see Moses' invitation to partnership as a way to keep showing God how sorry they are. And there's another thing. For Israel, life and rest in the land were meaningless compared to having a purpose. They botched it the first time around, but God has been gracious and they aren't going to skimp now. Why would they? This outpouring of generosity is like Israel saying to God, take all that I have for your purpose because if you won't involve me in your purpose, then just strike me down now. Actually, Moses says something almost along those lines back in chapter 22 and he's begging on behalf of Israel and he says to God, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, then strike me out of the book that you have written. It's pretty common for people who have a bit of a brush with death to gain perspective and to devote themselves more fully to the things that really matter. That's what's going on here for Israel on a massive scale. Christians today have betrayed God and we know it because the death of Jesus, the Son of God, reveals what we really deserve. It should lead us to an outpouring of humility and repentance. Jesus was raised to eternal life and he gave his church a purpose. His apostle Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, it'll sound familiar, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And it transforms us. Don't we have an even greater reason than Israel did to be generous in partnership with God? We're no longer building a physical structure like the tabernacle. We are building the church, the body of Christ. This means investing in the maturity and the integrity of the believers here at Trinity Church Allgate. And it means investing in reaching those future believers who have not yet turned to Christ. All of this still has a material cost. These days, that mostly includes supporting the staff and their families who teach and train and lead. It might also occasionally include renovating a ministry centre or investing in a coffee machine so that we can be more hospitable. But it also means getting involved 
We've heard a great recounting of how involved we are uh, from Michelle this morning. I skipped it before, but let's not miss that Israel also devotes to the tabernacle their skills and their talents and their passions and their training and their expertise. They bring all of that. Actually, let's not miss this. It's actually Israel, the people themselves, that do all of the legwork. Today, for church, that might mean getting involved in music or in welcoming or in setup and, and tech, helping with design work or teaching our kids or leading our Bible studies. It might mean working with Catherine to care and support people. It could be any of the platform roles. You've seen a bunch of those this morning, including preaching. Maybe you'd like to learn how to do that. There's lots involved in building the dwelling place of God today. The church, the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we can all keep expressing our repentance for sin and our devotion to God's purpose through our generosity and partnership. God is with us. This was always the plan. That's what it meant for the glory of Yahweh to fill the tabernacle. And thanks to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, we experience his presence in an incredibly intimate way today. And just like Israel, we are swept up into an amazing, transformational purpose. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, once more in the words of Moses, if we have found favour in your eyes, then forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Amen. Wow, that was um, a lot to take in, and I'm sure if you ask two people here what they got out of that, it would be completely different. So it's, it's going to be a lot to, um, for us to unpack in our growth groups this week. Um, for me, I'm glad to remember the enormous efforts that God made to be close to his people and to you and me today. Let's um, spend some time in prayer. Uh, thanks, Lisa. Um, as we enter a time of prayer, please join me in the responsive prayer on the screen. Be exalted, Lord, above the heavens. Let your glory cover the earth. Keep our nation under your care and guide us in justice and truth. Let your way be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Send out your light and truth that we may tell of your saving works. Hear our prayers, O Lord, for we put our trust in you. Almighty God, you are holy, righteous and eternal, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You have rescued us, not through temporary sacrifices, but now, once for all, through Jesus' willing death on the cross. When, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus paid the ransom price for our sin, 
so that we know that neither death nor life nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from your love. Thank you so much for the gift of your amazing grace. In turn, you call us to share the good news of salvation with others. At all times, help us to give you all the glory, to be obedient and to have courage, knowing that you are with us always to the very end of the age. We pray for our church, Trinity Church Aldgate, that as a church family, by God's grace, we will fix our eyes on you, loving you, loving each other, and loving everyone for your glory. Grow our church in faith, hope, and love. Through your spirit, strengthen, embolden, and encourage us. Add to our numbers people who you have called to hear about Jesus and your grace, and help us to nurture and build up each member of our body to know and love you more and more. With you, all things are possible, and you know the plans that you have for us. Renew us in 2021 as we look to plant a new congregation in 2022. Give our leadership and ministry teams wisdom in decision-making. Thank you that, in so many different ways, we all have an invaluable part to play in building up your body through service, encouragement, support of others, and using the different gifts that you have given us. Thank you for our ongoing fellowship. We pray for the family fun time this afternoon. Thank you for Moz and her team involved in children's ministry and bless this afternoon as a way to share your love and strengthen friendships and community. We also pray for our weekend together in June. We pray for the speaker, Justin Moffat. Give him the words that we need to hear for our church. Thank you for the opportunities that we have to gather together in freedom and safety to learn more about you. Lord, on this Anzac Day, we pray for our nation, Australia. We thank you for all that we enjoy and may sometimes take for granted about this country. As we remember those who have fought and died or who live with the impact of war, we long for and pray for your peace. Please join me in saying this Anzac Day prayer. God of the nations, whose kingdom rules over all, have mercy on our broken and divided world. Shed abroad your peace in the hearts of all men and banish from them the spirit that makes for war, that all race and people may learn to live as members of one family and in obedience to your laws, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We are so grateful for those who give sacrificially to support the ministry here. Thank you very much. If you'd like to contribute or you do need to um, check out your electronic giving, uh, do that first, then access um, on the website through the Sunday Hub. All the details are on the screen. Why don't we stand now and sing our final song and remember why we can come into God's presence. Jesus paid it all.
God, he bridged the great divide To offer us eternal life Sending hope within a man Oh, his love, it never fails And his love to find our cause With power to tame the ocean's roar Taking on our sin and shame He has opened up the way He has overcome the grave Once for all, our King has paid it all. All the glory to His name. And by His blood, the curse of man undone. All the glory.
Um, for now, I'm sure we've got all busy lives, there's things running around in your head about what you're going to do, public holiday tomorrow, what are we going to do? But let's start with sending each other out with these words in the bold. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen. Have a great week.